0: Jesus was on earth for about 30 years before he ever gave his first public statement. His ministry began just about three years before the end of his life, which means he walked around on earth for 30 years before going public with anything that would be recorded that we know about. I picture him maybe in his 20s. Kind of tossing around some ideas. What will, be my, what will be my opening statement to the world? What would set the tone for my whole message? Well, amazingly, we have a record of that first public declaration of Jesus. I'm going to read it to you now. It's not going to be up on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. It's recorded in Luke chapter 4. You might hear something that sounds familiar. In Jesus, first, public statement. Just listen along. If you want to tune in to your own Bible, that's fine. Otherwise, just listen and picture this in your mind now. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll And sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, truly, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, he said to them. And then it required a little bit of explanation of what he really meant, but when the people finally got what he was suggesting, do you know what they did with him? Some of you do. They dragged him out of the synagogue and tried to throw him off the cliff to kill him because they knew that he was claiming to be God's Messiah. He was saying, I am good news for the poor. I am liberty for the captives. I have come to bind up the brokenhearted. He was making messianic claims. They tried to kill him. Although we know that some others heard and received the message and received him as their Messiah. Now we've been growing a little bit as a church this summer. So some of you may be new, you may be just tuning in, but we've been studying some of these texts of Isaiah all summer long. And we've been asking the question, not just how do we apply Isaiah to our lives, we're not seeking application we're seeking implication how are we implicated in the story of Isaiah well tonight we see that Jesus was implicated in the story of Isaiah when he said today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing he was implicating himself claiming that he is good news for the poor and the captive And the brokenhearted and if Jesus is implicated in this story and if we are implicated in the story of Jesus then this story involves us as well so there's some powerful truths in here that we're going to unpack tonight Jesus is good news for the poor you know some people say you have to read the old testament on its own don't try to read the new testament into the old but with this particular text we have no other choice because Jesus has interpreted it about himself So when we read this, we know that it's about Him. We learn more about Jesus based on these prophetic words from Isaiah. Namely, that Jesus is good news for the poor and the captive and the brokenhearted. And that means, as we'll see, that He's good news for us. And that is good news for the world. Jesus is good news for the poor, which means He's good news for us which is good news for the world. He rescues us, he gives us a new identity, and he gives us a new purpose. Let's dig into the text a little bit now to see how this all plays out. Jesus is good news for the poor. Go ahead and put up verse one on the screen. Remember now, this is all about Jesus, according to Jesus, that the spirit of the Lord God is upon him because the Lord has anointed Jesus to bring good news to the poor, God sent Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now we know who this is about, that Jesus is the one who came to set people free, to speak the richness of his love to their poverty and to bind up those who are brokenhearted. He has come on a freedom mission. He's come on a mission to rescue and to set free. Some of you are familiar with the work of the International Justice Mission. We had one of their representatives come and preach for us last year. The International Justice Mission is an organization, the IJM. They send in people into countries where there are unjust laws and systems and practices, mostly where there's human slavery, human trafficking. And I watched a video some time ago from the IJM of a rescue of some girls who were enslaved in a brothel. And one of the rescuers working for the IJM had a little tiny uh, video camera on the strap of his backpack, so they got to record the whole thing. And they went into this brothel, and you can see these young girls just looking at their rescuers with this amazing look on their face. And these rescuers came in and they paid a price to get those girls out of their captivity. Can you imagine just for a moment what that must have felt like for those girls to be rescued in that way? To have somebody come in and pay the price to set them free. Now, it's almost easier for us to imagine what it would be like to be that impoverished and to be that captive and then to be set free. It's, it, it's easier for us to think that Jesus came in the richness of his love to solve their poverty and their captivity. It's harder for us to recognize that spiritually speaking, we are those girls in need of rescue and in need of the richness of his love. That's hard for us to grasp. But let's think about this really logically for a moment. If Jesus in his first public declaration, his first sermon, if Jesus says that he is good news for the poor and the captive, and if we think that in no measurement are we poor or are we captive, guess what? Jesus has no business with us. Think about that. So we need to think in different metrics, in different measurements about poverty and about captivity because if we don't see any arena of poverty or captivity in our own lives, then Jesus has no business with us. The promise of God is that he's come to set us free from the impoverishment that sin has brought to our lives and the captivity that we are in because of sin. We know this because in the New Testament, I wanna show you this verse in Colossians 2 verse 14, it says this, God forgave all our sins by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Let me just read that again. God forgave all our sins by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Make no mistake, because of our sin, we are in debt We have a debt that we cannot repay. We are enslaved. We are captive to the prison of our sin, and we cannot escape on our own. Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the debt of our sin and to set us free, just like those girls in that brothel. We have been saved. We've been set free by Jesus and his death on the cross. Somebody say hallelujah or amen or something. That's what God has done for us we have to recognize, we have to present to God not our list of accomplishments and our list of wealth, but our indebtedness and our captivity and our brokenheartedness. We like to show the world, we like to show our friends all the things we've accomplished. That's what we talk about when we go to cocktail parties and dinner parties, right? Can you imagine going to someone's house for dinner and just telling them the whole time about your debts we don't do that, right? We'd lose our friends. But if Jesus is good news for the poor and the captive and the brokenhearted, then when we present ourselves to him, we should show him our list of debts and poverty and captivity and brokenheartedness because he's come for those things to set us free, to die on the cross, to give us freedom. Please find your inner poverty tonight. Find your inner captivity. In what ways are you enslaved to sin? Because rescue is coming in the person of Jesus Christ. If he hasn't already, he can come and rescue you and redeem you. Jesus is good news for the poor and the captive and the brokenhearted, which means he's good news for us. And when he rescues us, when he sets us free, he doesn't just leave us alone then. Those girls who were uh, redeemed, who were rescued from the brothel, they weren't just kind of put out onto the street and said, good luck now with your lives. No, the IJM takes those girls. They put them in a safe house. They give them education. They give them new clothing. They give them a new identity. They speak words of affirmation and love into those girls. And God does the same for us after he has rescued us from our captivity to sin. Let's read about it in verse 3. It's all spelled out for us by the prophet. Why has he done this? Why has he rescued these people? Why has he rescued us to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Look at the transformation that's given here. God gives those whom he rescues a new identity, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. He gives us a new identity, a new vision of ourselves when he speaks those words of love and redemption and forgiveness over us. God transforms us when he has redeemed us. Look at this image, this beautiful image he's given us. That No, not this one. No, that's coming. That's coming. That's coming. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. Way to be on the ball, John. Way to pay attention. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. Now just think back, if you've been with us all summer, think back to Isaiah chapter 40. You remember? The Israelites are captive in Babylon and they're under the captivity of this nation that looked so strong and so powerful to them. And God is helping them theologize this a little bit. And God is talking about the Babylonians and he says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. So God is showing them that the Babylonians, this evil empire, they're like fading flowers and grass that, that, bow, that, that bow under the heat of the sun. But you, O people of God, you who've been rescued by me, you're not like a fading flower. You are like an oak of righteousness. An oak has deep roots. An oak tree is permanent. An oak tree doesn't fade in the heat of the sun. Deep roots are not touched by frost. We withstand every season if we are this oak of righteousness, this new identity that he gives us. Now I want you to see this image of my front yard uh, over, this is the old parsonage of the old Stanwich Church. That's my wife, Nancy, on the stoop, and my children, Riley and Eva, playing in the sprinkler. This is the desktop background of my computer in my office. And a lot of times people come in and they say, oh, that's so cute, your kids are running through the sprinkler, and it is kind of a cute picture. But to me, it's more than a picture. This is a prayer. That they, my wife and my children, might be becoming Oaks of righteousness. Do you see that huge tree in the middle? Now that's actually a maple, but just work with me here. It's a maple tree, but it could be an oak, you know, if you squint. My prayer for my family is that they would be growing up with deep roots in God's word and God's love, that their identity would be from God, that they would know they're redeemed, that they know they're rescued, that they have a debt they couldn't pay, And that God has pulled them out of their captivity and their impoverishment. And he's given them a new identity as an oak of righteousness. Now let's go back to the end of verse 3. Why why would he do this? Why would God make us into oaks of righteousness? The end of verse 3 says, That he may be glorified. That God may be glorified. You know, the leaves of that tree will fall in just a couple of months. And I welcome that on some level because when the leaves fall off of a tree, you get to see that their hands and their fingers and their arms are lifted up heavenward. They're giving glory to God. They give praise to God by their very design. They praise God in season and out. That's what we are like if we are oaks of righteousness. We bring glory to God with our very lives. And we are strong. You know, I looked at that tree all during the night of Hurricane Sandy, wondering if it was going to fall over. There was another tree in the backyard that fell right into the woods, but that one stayed strong. It brings glory to God in its very design. Even in the middle of the winter, we see that its arms are lifted high. There's another thing that an oak of righteousness brings. It brings glory to God, but it also brings shelter to the area around it. That's what we are when we are oaks of righteousness in God. We bring glory to God, but we also bring help. We bring shelter to the world around us. The prophet continues now in verse four, describing God's people, that they, that we, that these oaks of righteousness rooted in God, rescued by him, shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities the devastations of many generations. Now to the original audience, to Isaiah's audience, they would have heard this statement, and they would have immediately thought of Jerusalem. They're captive in Babylon, and they are hearing the promise from Isaiah now that they would be able to return home. And they would have Im- immediately thought, we've got to go back to Jerusalem, the city that's been torn asunder by the Babylonians. We need to start putting those stones back on top of one another, the ones that had been torn down. And in Jesus' time, when he appropriated this for himself, they might have been thinking, we've got to overthrow the Romans and then also rebuild Jerusalem after they're gone. But those of us who are in Christ, who are not captive to the Babylonians or the Romans, who are captive to sin, we see that he's really talking about our hearts, our lives, our relationships, that we who are oaks of righteousness would bring glory to God and bring help, bring shelter, bring repair to the devastated cities of our lives. Some years ago, Nancy and I were driving from here back to Michigan, uh, visiting my family, and for some reason, the GPS system took us much closer to Detroit than we normally go. And uh, we needed gas, and so we pulled off, and we were getting gas at this gas station, but everything around the gas station was completely destroyed by the collapsed economy of Detroit. All the storefronts were just kind of falling down and dilapidated. The economy was gone. I remember just looking and seeing parking lots as far as the eye could see that had no cars in them, that were just had big cracks and big weeds were growing up through the cracks. And we got back in the car and one of us said to the other, I can't remember which one, we just said, man, I just feel really sad being here. I just feel really depressed here in Detroit. And some of you have been to Detroit, you know the story of What this devastated city looks like well the reality is because of sin some of us have a detroit of the heart some of us have detroits even in our households and our families in our relationships with the people that we love the economy's gone the love is gone things are just collapsing all around Jesus says, and I want to invite the band to come up at this point. They're going to lead us into a song as I conclude. The promise of Jesus, when he said this scripture has been fulfilled in the hearing of those who heard Jesus say this, Jesus promises that all of us with the broken places in our hearts, the broken places in our families, they might be restored. And he has a plan for how they would be restored, that he would set us free He's good news for the poor and the captive and the brokenhearted, which means he's good news for us because we have impoverishments and captivities in our hearts. And that is good news for the world because he makes us in the oaks of righteousness that we bring glory to God and that we would bring shelter and help and repair and restoration to the world around us. I asked you a few minutes ago to think about your inner poverty, your inner captivity. Because as I said, if you don't think you have any of that, then Jesus has no business with you. Don't go to Jesus tonight like you go to your friends at a dinner party giving him your list of accomplishments. Go to Jesus and declare that you are a sinner. You are impoverished by sin. You are captive by sin. Maybe you can think of that one sin that you keep going back to over and over again, that, that thing you keep finding yourself in the mess of again. That's captivity. Maybe you think of that relationship where you have where it feels like the economy's gone, the love is gone. Think of that. Think of the, make a list in your mind, in your heart. In just a moment, I'm going to sit down and Pastor Jackie's going to stand up and show us the bread and the juice of the Lord's Supper. And you guys can just start coming forward whenever you feel led after she's done that. Bring to God your poverty, your captivity, your broken heart. Ask the rescuer, ask the redeemer, ask Jesus to set you free, to give you a new identity, a new garment of praise, to turn your life into an oak of righteousness so that you might bring glory to him and help to the world around you.